Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. That you would open up our hearts. We could hear what you're saying, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Lord, I ask for um, an unction upon weak words. Or that you would take... The, the weakness of my words, and you would put your spirit and your oil upon them. Lord, we, we want to be obsessed with, with you. Lord, we want to be more than just a name, more than a conference, more than a lyric. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but from the time that I can remember, and I've said this, if you've ever heard me speak before many times, it's kind of like the currency in my heart, even to this day. Even as I get older and I come to the same conclusions over and over again, I find myself asking the same question again and again and again. Of what is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? How many of you are people like that? What is the point? How many times do you say, what is the point? Sometimes I will leave a big conference or a big event or I'll be just home by myself I'll be thinking about life in general. I'll, I'll look around the earth and I'll see what's happening in the world. I look, I watch the news and I see the trauma that's happening in the earth. Or I, I read the newspapers and I see the good that's happening. I look at the celebrities and all the lists that, that goes on and on and all their pompousness and all that goes on. And I look up to heaven and I go, what is the point? Why are we here? Why do we exist? From the time I can remember, I've asked God this question over and over and over again. What is the point? And it used to drive my parents crazy because I could n- no answer would ever satisfy me. I want to know why. All right, how many of you are why people? Why? When I was a little girl, why? Why is the sky blue? Why? Why does God not? If God must be so bad, why doesn't he stand in front of me and just talk to me? Why? Why is God invisible? Why? Why, why, why? Why pain? Why suffering? Why blessing? Why am I in America? Why in a free country where all around the world they don't have these kinds of freedom? Why? Why the injustice? Why? My entire life I've wanted to know why. I want to know purpose. There is nothing that I'm more afraid of, more fearful of, than living a life without purpose, without meaning, without significance, and without an aim. There's nothing I fear more than being aimless. Nothing. There's nothing that causes more despair in my heart, more frustration, more fear than the idea of living without purpose, without meaning. Even when I was 18, 17 and 18 years old, I remember specifically one day I am pacing back and forth. I'm from a small town in Texas. I'm from a little tiny, tiny podunk town called Sundown. Anybody? Yeah, I knew some. I knew there was a group here from Sundown. There's like 1,800 people. It's a little tiny town, in the middle of nowhere. I homeschooled, and 
I'm among friends, actually. <laughs> it's good to find friends when you homeschool, right? <laughs> yeah. So I homeschooled from a small town, but I would, I would ponder these thoughts of the meaning of life and suffering and what was the point and where was the impact. I have this desire for impact pulsating in me like a plague. I mean, it was like impact, impact, impact. I just want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. But I wasn't that educated. I didn't have money. I didn't seem to have any, you know, there was no opportunity to change the world. What was I going to do? I remember one day I was pacing in my room, going back and forth out in the hallway. You know, my poor family was kind of banging on the wall. And I was like, I'm 17 years old. I'm living in the middle of nowhere. The world is going to hell. And I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. And I can hear my mom in the kitchen. She's like, calm down, Missy, just calm down. My sister, she's the good one. She's older than me. She's the good one. I can hear her heavy sigh in the living room. You are like, oh, Missy's at it again. I'm I'm 17 years old. My life is running out of time. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. My mom like, just go outside for a while and get, just do something already. I have this huge desire and this longing for significance and impact, and it really did drive me to make life-changing decisions later on in my life. I wanted impact. I wanted significance. I wanted relevance, and I wanted meaning so desperately bad. And I grew up in a Christian home, so it wasn't, about, it wasn't a matter of salvation. I knew where I was going. But for the life of me, I could not figure out why I was here. I always thought if the whole point of life was so that you could redeem me from my sin, just to save me, and then take me to heaven when, I, when I'm old, why don't you just kill me when I say the sinner's prayer and forget this whole process? Let's just get this whole thing over with. If this is the point of life, then save me and kill me already. Why are we here? There's more than just the introductions of our faith. There's more than only the introduction. There's more than the initiation of our salvation. There's more than the introductions to Jesus. If you're saved, you're at the beginning of the story. If you know Jesus and you've accepted him as your Savior and you're not going to hell anymore, you're only at the beginning. This is it. This isn't the end of the story. If this is the end of the story, let's just all check it out right now. No, there's so much more going on with you about your life, no matter where you're from, no matter what your life circumstance. There is so much more to life than meets the eye. Is not life more than this. It's not life more than food and clothing and where you live and who you know and what you look like. It's not life more than this. I mean, really, if this is it, this is just a big joke. I am grateful for life. I don't want to sound too pessimistic. I am grateful, but it's just so frail. You know what I'm saying? By the time you figure out that you're super cool and people like you, you're old and nobody cares. By the time you figure these things out, it's too late and it's already over. It's so quick. It's so frail. Life is so fragile. It's over so quickly. If this is it, then somebody got the script really messed up. 
There's more to your life. There's more to your story. There's more to being a Christian than just signing up for a do-good club and just escaping hell. There's more. There's more. I have a cry in my heart even today for the more. I want the more of Christianity. I want to go into the depths of the knowledge of Jesus. I want more than the introductions of my faith. Even when I was very young, I was pondering these thoughts. What is the purpose? What is the point? And I was asking, I was looking up in that vast West Texas sky. And the West Texas is very flat and very dry. I and mean, you can see for miles and miles and miles. So all you see at night is sky. You look in front of you and you see sky. You look above you, you see sky. The, the sky in West Texas is beautiful. I would look up and I would see all of the stars in the night. And all of the galaxies and the galaxies that just go on and on and on. And I would feel my insignificance and just how tiny we really are. I would look up and I would say, who are you? Who are you and why did you put us on this little rock, this little planet? What is the purpose of all of this? I was very tenacious to find the answer. Very tenacious. I would have done anything to find a purpose. I decided I was 18. I was going to go on my first fast. Someone, I heard, read a book or someone said, if you fast, that you can understand God more or something. I don't even know how I got the idea. Someone said fast would increase your capacity. So I said, you know what? I definitely want an increased capacity because I can't find the meaning of life. And let me tell you right now, if you don't know the meaning of your life, I'm not just talking about humanity as a whole. I'm talking about you personally. If you don't have a purpose and a vision in front of you, you it says that people without vision perish. If you don't have a vision in front of you, something that you're aiming at, you will perish, which means you will just waste away. You will just waste your life. Nobody wants to live a life that's wasted. I don't want to be 70 and 80 and 90 years old and look back over my life and go, what did I do with all of that time and those years that the Lord gave me? So when I was 17 years old, I decided to go on this fast. I was 18. It was the first time I had ever fasted. I was going to do a full week, seven days. I was going to do this. I was definitely drinking milkshakes and tomato juice and anything that you didn't have to chew, but it was still a fast. And so I, I did this fast. I thought I was dying. I thought I was surely going to die by the end of the week. Or an angel was going to show up, one or the other, because I was definitely feeling like I was suffering. So the very first day, and at this time, you know, I haven't, I'm telling you this experience, I haven't heard the voice of God that many times. I don't think at, at this level, but this week I heard the voice of the Lord. So the first day, I lay down on the couch, you know, faint with hunger. It's probably like noon. I'm probably just skip breakfast at this point. <laughs> and I faint with hunger, and I'm looking, you know, looking. I'm reading through the book of Exodus. I don't know why. This Exodus has just captured my imagination. So I'm reading through Exodus, and I'm looking at the account of Moses, and I'm thinking, this is, this is me. This is what I want to be. I want to be Moses. So I'm reading about the burning bush and all of these things and just wanting God to encounter me 
like he encountered Moses. So I'm asking the Lord, come, speak to me. I'm listening. And I was expecting like an audible voice or an angel or something, but waiting and waiting. How many of you know God is really invisible? Really invisible. This is something I'm going to talk to him about someday. He's very invisible. So I wait, I wait, nothing. And then suddenly, internally, I heard, now this was not my own imagination because I did not want to hear this. He said, I love you. And I, was, I got off the couch and I was like, I knew, it. I knew you didn't talk. I knew that you didn't talk. Everybody knows that you love people. I knew that already. I was mad. And I just walked. I just like, whatever. This thing doesn't work. But I kept fasting. And I was so desperate. I was like, there has to be more to relationship with you than just a list of do's and don'ts. I can't be righteous, God. I kept telling him, all oh, this list of being godly, I can't do this. I don't even want to do this. If this is all there is to relationship with you, I would rather just go have fun and sin. If this is really it, there has to be more. There has to be more. So I kept fasting. So the second day, I'm there. Lord, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Talk to me. Anything. I'm here. You know, your servant is listening. And I hear him say, again, I love you. And I was so mad. I was so mad. Love, love, really? You're telling me that love is the answer to my question? No, thank you. The next day, I don't even ask the question. I keep asking because I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate that I can't even explain to you how desperate I felt at 18 years old to find the answer to my questions for meaning and purpose and life and God. Day four comes along, and I am just, I am just exhausted. I'm exhausted from my own frustration, still reading the book of Exodus, still fasting. And I, I ask him again, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me? And I just hear the sentence, I love you. I was like, fine. I love you, too. I'm like, let's just go with this thing, because I, I don't have any option right now. I love you, too, I said, as I rolled my eyes. <laughs> And I hear this sentence, are you satisfied with my love? And it pierced my heart like an arrow. Are you satisfied with my love? And this one sentence, this one whisper changed my life. As simple as it was, as simple as that little story is, it changed my life so radically that I began to set my forehead like flint and to search the scripture and to look up to heaven. And I said, I am going to live for love. I am going to live for love. If you say what you want from me is love, then I'm going to give you love with all that I can. But then I was in another dilemma. What is love? What is love? I mean, really. In our culture, love is romance. It's sentimental. It's kind of a passivity, even, you know, just kind of, Overlooking people's failures or sins and that love, it's toleration. So now I look for my purpose. I decided very quickly that my purpose had to be found in God and eternity because life under the sun was a vanity and a chasing the wind. I figured that out really quickly. So now my purpose is God. Now God wants love. 
love? You've got to be kidding me. I want to change the world. I want to be, I want to do something radical, something intense, something that matters. You want love? I decided right then and there that love has to be defined on a whole different term than we have ever heard in our generation or in generations before us. God himself is love. He is love. Do you know that the whole world is searching for significance and for meaning? And they're putting all kinds of visions in front of them. They're spending their life energy, their life resource to attain a goal, only to attain it, and very often to be completely disillusioned by it. We have to get the one thing, the goal, the real goal, the primary dream of our lives, really, really clear, and then go with it, go towards it with all of our heart. But so often, even in the Christian culture, we have so many other dreams. And there are many things that are important. There are many things that are important. But I'm telling you the truth. Those other things will not satisfy you because they do not satisfy God. They do not satisfy God. God did not create you because he needed a workforce. Nor did he create you because he just wanted a billions of people to stand around and tell them that he was beautiful. He created you because he wanted a living, active relationship with you. A real friendship. A real relationship. Sometimes I think that Christians don't even believe what we believe. Think about what we are saying. We're talking about the Genesis 1 God, the God of all creation, the God who upholds you by the very words of his mouth. He wants you. He wants you for real, not your brother, not your sister, not your mom, not your dad, you. He is after your heart. He is after the very depths of who you are. Well, you know, Mr. <laughs> and if we, if, we don't, if we don't put that as our primary aim, we will live aimless. I remember I heard this uh, interviewer interviewing this famous movie star, and he was a super famous guy. And the guy, and the interviewer, he had this like rags to riches kind of story, and all these things that you had to overcome in order to become this rich and famous and beautiful, you know, movie star. And the guy was like, "So what does it feel like that you came through all of this and you finally arrived?" And the guy said the most odd sentence. He goes, it's boring. And the interviewer was like, um, it's boring? And the, the movie star, the guy, he was like, yeah, it's boring. He goes, I never knew how boring this was going to be. And you could see the look of disillusionment over his face. He had spent his entire life trying to attain to something that could never satisfy him. Even in our relationships, we do this. You know, I have marriage and family is beautiful. It is God-ordained. It is beautiful. And there are so many elements that I'm telling you right now, your spouse will not satisfy you. Young people who think, if I could just get married, that's the big dream. That's the big goal. That's their whole life vision. Often it's focused on that one thing. And then they get it, and they're utterly disillusioned. Nothing is going to satisfy you except 
satisfying God. You will never be satisfied until you satisfy God. And you will never find what you're looking for until you find what he is looking for. Because he is the creator. He is the author. He's the one that designed your very frame. Do you know that he designed you in such a way that you were created for himself? You were created, your very human frame, the very way that we have an internal life, our mind, our will, our emotions, our heart. You were designed for God. And until you fulfill that primary purpose, you will live aimless. You will live without purpose, even within the kingdom of God. I went on a journey. I said, Lord, I, I have to know what this means. I began to search the scriptures. And one of my favorites that became a, a life passion of mine is Matthew 22. If you have your Bible, do you want to turn there? Matthew 22, verse 37. Life is so much more, so much more. We, we so often get weighted down in the cares of this life. We get tangled up in the affairs of life. But you are not of this world. If you've been born again, you are not of this world. You're passing through life. You're going somewhere. You're moving towards something. You're moving towards someone. The Lord wants to raise up men and women that the world are not worthy of. And it's men and women who are giving him what he wants who are fulfilling their primary, their primary creative purpose, looking up to heaven and responding. The only way to figure out what he wants is through his word. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus was just asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Luke adds the word strength. He says, this is the first, and this is the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he looks at them, and he goes, oh, on these two commandments, all, notice the word all, all the law and all the prophets hang on love. Love. All the law. The entire story of God. The entire story of God, from Adam all the way to the book of Revelation, the entire, all of the laws, all of the commandments, all of the prophets, over and over and over again, hang on love. We accuse God of being silent and mysterious and hard to figure out. But he is shouting, and he has been shouting throughout the ages, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Even now, he's leaning over the balcony of heaven, and he's looking across this room, and he's looking at your heart. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus searches the heart. He searches the mind. He searches the heart. And he's looking across this room, and he's looking where no man can look. The person sitting next to you doesn't know what's going on in your heart. Nobody knows you at the center and the core. Nobody ever will. We spend our whole lives trying to be known and trying to be understood. There's only one who knows you, and there's only one who fully gets you. There's only one who fully understands you. And the glorious part is it's the same one who wants you and desires you so intimately and so intensely that he actually formed and fashioned you in the womb of 
your mind. Have you ever tried to love God with your mind? Your mind? Our minds, we criminally underestimate the power of our minds. Like I've said many times, I look across this, this auditorium at thousands of people. I have no idea what you're thinking. You don't even know what the person next to you is thinking. Close your eyes for a second. You see that space in there? That's where God lives. Now open your eyes. Don't don't fall asleep on me. When Jesus died and was resurrected, went to the right hand of the Father. He said, Father, give them my spirit. The disciples, when they heard that Jesus was going to die, they said, they said, oh, no, we, we want you with us. They were used to him being close and right there where they could see him. And he actually said to them, it's better if I go. Because if I go, I'll send the Spirit. The Spirit will be in you. No, let's stop. Rewind. The Spirit will be in you. You shall love the Lord your God with your mind, your soul, and your heart. These are primarily internal realities. We have criminally underestimated the power of our mind. That sacred space, that internal world where most of your life takes place truly on the other side of your face. You you spend more of your life thinking than you do. You can't stop thinking. You can't turn it off. You can't turn your mind off. You're you're talking to someone in your head right now. I don't know who, I don't know what you're saying, but you're talking to someone. You're either replaying conversations that you've had. You're making plans for what you're going to say. You're wishing you would have said something different. You're fantasizing about what will never happen. You're doing something in your mind. You can't turn it off. You have pictures. You have conversation. You have constant image. It's like this movie theater all the time on the inside of you. This is because you are designed for prayer. Your very frame, your very mind was designed for prayer, for interaction with God. I used to think I would much rather Jesus just be right here and come and visit me, you know, like once a week or something, and I could give him an update on how my life is going, and we could just chat and have some coffee and, you know, catch him the next time he's in town kind of thing. But he's like, no, it's better. Do you know, it'd be like this. Like, you have, let's say you have a best friend, and he, that best friend looks at you, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to die, but don't worry. Where I'm going, you know, on the other side, there are no phones, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no text messaging, none of that. But don't worry, I'm going to put my spirit in you so we can talk. You'd be like, what? Can you imagine what those disciples must have thought? They're like, you're, we're going to talk. You're not going to be here. But we're going to actually be closer than if you were here. Don't you love the way the creator designed us? I think it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. He created you with an entire world on the inside. And he doesn't look at you and say, oh, I'm going to give you an imagination. I'm going to make your head so loud and so distracting that every time you close your eyes, you can't even connect with me. And then the wheels of that one, they're going to rise above and he goes to the mysterious nothing and finally arrive at me. 
No. He says, use your imagination. Use what I have given you. It's a tool. You're not supposed to overcome it. You're supposed to use it. Love God with your mind. Take the scripture and put it in your head. Take the dialogue and that constant dialogue, you know, texting and all that kind of stuff, you're in a constant dialogue. And I often think the Lord is like trying to get a word in it. That's why, you know, he's just like, if he had a phone, I think he would just text you all and be like, I am trying to talk to you. We're trying to have a conversation. Jesus said, abide in me. The only way that you're going to abide in him is if you talk to him. But we spend so much time in constant conversation, even in our own imagination, with other people or ourselves. He says, love me with your mind. Not because he's so mean and exclusive, but because you were created for it. Love me with your mind. One way that you love him with your mind is you fill your thoughts with truth. You let your mind be washed with the water of your word. Another way is that you meditate. You contemplate. You actually put yourself in the scripture. Whenever I read, particularly the Gospels, you know, I'm reading the Gospels, and there Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I put myself in my mind, in the Scripture. I'm the one sitting there. He's in front of me. I interact with him in the Word. I use my imagination. I use the movie screen of my mind, and I go there. That's another way to love him with your mind. You love him with your mind by being loyal to the truth. He says, love me with your mind. And he goes on and he says, you shall love me with your heart and with your soul. And there's much to say about each of these. I'm barely touching the, the surface. I mean, I'm at the beginning of my own journey of discovering what it really means to love God with all of the internal world. But then he goes on. And later on, he describes love like this. He says, if anybody loves me, he has to deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. There's no way around that. You know, I tried to read that and maybe interpret it differently or hang it a little different. Maybe what he really meant was, um, I don't know, if you love me, indulge in yourself, and then you'll be most happy. I think that's what he meant. If you love me, pursue riches and, and happiness, and then you'll be there, and then you'll be happy. No, he said, if you love me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and die daily. And here's the thing. This is the voice of the bridegroom. This is the voice of love himself. He says that there is no greater love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. He himself came as the lamb slain to demonstrate and to define love. He defined it. We don't get to redefine it. We don't get to say, you know what, in America, that doesn't really work. That definition does not work. It won't go well. At the youth conference, nobody wants to do the cross thing. We don't get to rearrange it and Americanize it. He said, this is love. Everything else is not love. This is love. Everything else is not love. This is love. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. 
leave it all. But here's the thing. It's not just because he's a tyrant. So he's like, I just want you. I just want to see how tough you can be. No, it's the voice of a bridegroom. It's the voice of a bridegroom. You know why? Because he left his father's house. He denied the form of God. He took it off and put on skin forever. He left it all because he wanted to cling to you. He wanted to be one with you. And he wants a bride that is equally yoked to him in love. And that starts on the inside with the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. But it doesn't end there. He says, if you love me, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Self-denial is not. But it, but, and, and I'm not at all talking about self-denial in and of itself. There's no merit in a religious spirit of self-denial. That will get you nowhere. I'm talking about a posture of love. And what I mean basically is not just turn your computer off, that kind of stuff. We're not living in the age of martyrdom. I'm not talking about martyrdom, although it may lead to that. What I'm talking about is turn your phone off for a little while so that you can actually talk to him. Turn your computer off. Say no to a few hangouts so that you can have time in the Word. Wake up early. Be with him. Talk to him. Interact with him. Get rid of everything that gets in the way of that perpetual conversation. That's what I mean by self-denial. You deny your natural impulse. You know, I'm a very impulsive person. Anybody? I tend to be very impulsive and addictive. So I just like do it and then I do it over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. And then I'm in, like, I'm stuck. Like I'm impulsive, I'm addictive. And the Lord's like, deny yourself. Like, stop. Stop doing that. Because we can't talk. We can't have this conversation if you're so preoccupied all the time with, with entertainment. I mean, fasting is a form of self denial. Prayer is a form of self-denial because you're denying all the other things that you could be doing to sit with the Lord, to be with him. But here's the thing. You were made for it. You will be most happy, most alive. The Lord also said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not because he just wants obedience. It's not about that, although that's good enough in and of itself. He's God and we should obey. But his commandments are like the user manual for humanity. You know, he, again, he is the creator. He designed you. He formed you. You were born like a baby, and the Bible is the user manual. Like, how to make this work here. Here's the how to make this work manual. He knows you so well. He's creator. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments, and you will be most alive, most fulfilled. Not, it's not always easy. He said it's a cross, which implies death. It's not always easy, but I'm telling you, you will never find what you're looking for until you find what he's looking for. You will never be satisfied until you satisfy him, and you will never be fully alive until you learn to die. You never will. All of these secondary things, so many of them are good. They have their place, but they are secondary. The, the title of this conference, is Jesus, our magnificent obsession. Oh, I want to be obsessed with him. I want to get rid of everything that hinders this obsession. I want to remove everything, all distraction. I want to see how far I can go in the freedom of transcendence. You know, holiness is the freedom of transcendence. It's rising above it. You become like someone the world is not worth.
of sin. I want to go all the way in holiness. I want to go all the way in the freedom and the liberty of transcendence. But it's a battle. It's a battle. Paul the Apostle said it's a battle. When you sign up to be wholly devoted to the Lord, you signed up for a battle. And the truth is, even if you didn't sign up for that, life's a battle. So there's no way around it. Life's a desert. Life's a wilderness. Life's a battle. This is it. Life's a race. We're going somewhere. Life is a battle. But you were made for it. You were made to fight for something. You were made to die for something. You were made for someone so much bigger than the boring mundane and the routine. You were made to live exhilarated. You were made for it. I had a dream. I had a dream probably 10 years ago. And in the dream, I'm a little girl. And I'm in this moonlit cemetery. It's just this, it's this beautiful cemetery with huge gravestones. And there's this massive open grave. I mean, it's huge, like the size of a swimming pool. It's huge. And I'm a tiny little girl, and I'm just, I'm being very childish, and I'm dancing around, and I'm just twirling and not paying attention, not taking myself seriously, not taking anything seriously. I'm just spinning around, and all of a sudden, I fall into the middle of this open grave. I mean, I fall into this dark, black, open grave. And my heart stops. I grab a hold of the side of the grave. And in this dream, it is so vivid. I can feel the grassroots, like, crackling under my fingernails. I can taste the dirt. I'm hanging on to the side of this grave. I look over my shoulder, and it's just a bottomless, dark, dark, dark pit. Suddenly, in the dream, I'm very, very sober. All that carefree, like, not taking things seriously is over. And I have one thing on my mind. i got to get out of here. So I have all of my energy and all of my strength. I'm climbing up the side of this, this grave trying to get out. My clothes are all ripped, and I'm filthy, and I'm, oh, it took a lot of effort to get out of this grave. Suddenly, I'm on the side of the grave, and now I'm an adult. I'm grown. I look down. I'm sober, but I'm happy. I'm sober. I'm serious-minded. I'm an adult. I, I mean, my clothes are all ripped. It's muddy everywhere. I walk to the head of the grave, and there's someone at the foot of the grave who looks like someone just the, the brethren, and he's throwing in these ashes into this grave, and he says, you better be careful. You better be careful. And then I walk to the front of the grave, and I, sw- I start to extend my arms like this, one like a cross, really, really slow, very deliberately, very slowly. And when I stretch them all the way out like a cross, the brethren shouted out, don't do that. It looks like you're being crucified. And he was angry. And when he said crucified, my hands extended all the way, and suddenly the Lord himself, came from behind me. The Lord himself stepped into me, and when he stepped into me, I was one with him. All of a sudden, light started beaming out of me. I was dressed in light. There was light coming out of my fingers. There was light coming out of my face, out of my garments, and I started to come off the ground, and I was rising off the ground. Light was radiating everywhere. I looked down on that open grave, and suddenly it was swallowed up, and all the tombstones started to crash down to the ground, and I was standing in the midair with light. 
lying above of this cemetery as it crashes and crumbles to the ground. It completely disappears. And then I wake up. And when I wake up, I'm standing up in the room like this with my hands out. And I'm praying loudly in the spirit. And there's electricity all over me. There's electricity swirling around me. And the Holy Spirit said, you will either die in your sin or you will die to yourself and therefore live. Because you were made for it. You want the power of God on your hands, on your heart. You want the energy of God. You want that divine, holy, transcendent presence. Love him with all of your heart your soul, your mind, your strength, and deny yourself. Look at him and be discipled by him. Do you know what it means to be obsessed by Jesus? When a person is obsessed, they become like that which they are obsessed with. Have you ever seen it? You know, there's guys who are obsessed with football. They, like, walk around in the football jerseys. You're like, you are not a football player. But they're obsessed. They want, to, they want to identify with what they're obsessed with. People who are obsessed begin to take on the personality traits about which they're staring at. You want to, do you want to be obsessed with Jesus? Look at him. And the way he defined himself ultimately was a servant, the servant of all. You want to be obsessed with him? You're going to become a slave. You want to be obsessed with him? You're going to deny yourself. You want to be obsessed with him? You're going to be conformed into his image, the very image of love. And the good news is you were created for it. You were created for it. I don't want to name that I'm alive. I don't want to know some man that's alive. I don't want to just be like, ah, I hang out with Mike Pickle. I know Mike, he's good. And think I'm on fire. I don't want to rejoice in the light of another man. I want to be one with that holy, pulsating heart that has been pulsating from eternity past. He's like a jasper. He's like a sardius stone, radiating, radiating, radiating. Love, love. The scripture says God is love, God is light, and God is fire. And the Holy Spirit wants to pour that fire into your very frame. He wants to pour the very love, the very essence of who he is, his very nature into your heart. He wants to conform you into the image of love. This is the only thing that makes sense of life. All that pressure that you're going through is the hand of the potter. He's forming you. He's fashioning you into love and to humility into meekness. Even the struggle you have with your own sin is producing in you humility and gratitude. It's all working together to move you toward the end result, which is to be unified and one with the Lamb forever. Forever. Life is more than this, and life is way too short to live under the sun. I can so relate to the writer of Ecclesiastes I'm telling you, we want to walk into those eyes of fire. If this is true, that Jesus, the same guy that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, is looking at you, I mean, if you really believe that, it changes everything. I mean, seriously. 
if he is looking at you and he told you what he wanted, which was love, and he's the only eternal one, and he's looking at your heart, he's looking at your mind, he's looking at your soul, he's looking at the way you live the Sermon on the Mount, he's watching you, he's near you, he's with you, he will help you. If this is true, everything matters. Suddenly, life makes sense because we're moving towards something. You are not of this world, beloved. You are not of this world. You are a pilgrim. You are a stranger. You are not of this world. You were created to be one with the holy heart, to join into the fellowship of the burning heart, the way the Father loves the Son, the way the Son loves the Father, the way the Holy Spirit rejoices among them. He's in you, and he wants you to experience the fellowship. He wants you to experience his heart, and he's made it clear how to do it. Let's stand together and pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, here we are, the ones that you love and the ones that love you. Lord, we ask that you would, even now, remove the distractions. We just go to that sacred space where you and with you, with me, with you and me alone, God. That sacred space on the inside. It's even in your mind's eye. Just look into the face of Jesus. Eyes like fire. Look into his face. He is not angry. He is not disappointed. He has love in his eyes. Look into his face, even in your imagination. Look into his eyes. He says, I want you with me. And there's only one way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would pour your love the love that you have for the Father, the love the Father has for the Son, and the Son has for the Father, that you would let us into that fellowship of the burning heart, that we would have the very energy of God on our hearts, the very power of God. Just all across the room as you're looking into his eyes, just ask him for a sentence. Maybe it's one or two things he's asking you to, to deal with or to deny yourself in. It's not a long list. He's not, he's not angry. There's usually one or two things that are hindering the conversation. Just talk to him about it. Set your heart again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fan the flame. And it's all Jesus I surrender to him and I will never trust him in presence 
Okay, everybody. Uh, welcome to Prayer International Radio. Our call-in number six one nine six three eight eight four five eight. And we've been listening. Um, we've been listening to Misty Edwards doing worship and her testimony um, for all of you. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> for all of you who are um, new to our show. Um, we're not actually affiliated with the International House of Prayer, but, uh, you know, um, honestly, you can, um, how do I put it? There's a whole body of Christ out there um, who the Lord has anointed. And, you know, sometimes it's good to hear um, the Word of God from someone else and to hear someone else's testimony. And as far as me and Chris are concerned, um, and I believe we both agree that you can learn more about God from just spending time with him in worship than anything that could come out of our mouths, um, for that matter. So, that being said, um, if you need prayer, give us a call. Um, you can always uh, email us at prayerinternational at gmail.com. So, someone said they, in the chat room, mentioned they would... Um, prefer that we actually um, get into the Word and preaching and praying um, for the last uh, 45 minutes of the broadcast, which is is actually fine. Um, Holy Spirit, please take your Word. Make Him alive to all the people who are listening tonight, Father. Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you would fill every listener with your presence, with your joy that comes only from your presence. Holy Spirit, with the peace that surpasses all understanding, that you would fill every one of them with your love, Lord, that you would reveal, demonstrate, and pour out your love in our hearts. Father, that we could comprehend the great extent of the love which you have for us when you formed us in the womb, Father, when you molded us and shaped us, Father, when you called us by our names, when you inscribed our names on the palm of your hand, when you sent your own son to die for our sins, Lord, that we deserved. Father, all the ways that you have demonstrated your love to us and your faithfulness, God. Father, I ask that you would make these things are reality into our lives, Father. Not just knowledge that we've heard or something we've read in a book, even if it's your book, God. But take your word and make them alive to us. Jesus, you said that whoever drinks of the water you shall give, then the water would become a river of water, a fountain of water. Lord, springing up into everlasting life, you said if we drink of that water, we will never thirst again. You're asking to become one with you, as you said that you are with the Father. Lord, that you would reveal your thoughts and your mind and your intentions to us, God. That you would reveal to us the content of the heart of the Father. Holy Spirit, the scripture declares that you alone search the mind of God and know what's on the mind of the Father. And I ask, Lord, according to your word, that you would reveal to your body, to the bride of Christ, your word tonight, Lord. 
for the scripture says that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That your word is established in heaven for eternity. That while heaven and earth may pass away, then we know they will, Lord, but we know that your words will remain forever. For Jesus, we know that you are eternal. Eternally eternally seated next to the Father. We know that for eternity you are crowned with glory and honor. Having your name be exalted above every name. Having everything put under your feet. Lord, we ask that we could find ourselves hidden in you, Lord. That the desires of the world, Father, desires of our flesh and of our minds, Father, would slowly pass away. That we would take on the mind of Christ. Lord, that you would begin to transform us and change us, Father, and continue to mold us as your scripture declares. God, that the work that you started in us, you would complete until the day of Christ. Father, and while that that day is steadily and quickly and fastly approaching, Jesus, because you said you come quickly, God, we desire to find ourselves hidden in you, Lord. To be not of this world, but to be of your world, Father, to be of your kingdom. You've already declared us to be citizens with the fellow saints and the members of the household of God. Lord, draw our reality in our lives and make it real to us. Make it an actuality that we would fully comprehend, understand our place, Lord, at your side, our place in your kingdom. So, um, let me give you, I guess, a breakdown. Um, a little, last night, um, Chris was doing the broadcast, and me and Chris, um, when we started doing this broadcast a year, yeah, I guess a year and three months ago, um, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into because we had never done anything like this. Um, we had both at various times administered and meetings and churches and and things like that. Chris, a lot more than me. Um, but we had never attempted to do something um, like blog talk. Um, our original goal, and, and it's still our vision, is not to do blog talk Um Please don't take that the wrong way, but our our vision has always been, and it still remains, to create a 24-hour prayer, I guess, portal um, through our website um, or some website or, or however the Lord in his own will and his grace and mercy decides to do it so that there's a place people can come 24 hours a day from every corner of the earth from every tribe and every tongue, and there would be people right there to intercede for them. And so that was a year and a year and three months ago or something like that. Actually, it was January of last year, um, as I, I believe when we started getting online. And when we first started doing this broadcast, we were doing it uh, – seven nights a week, but for only for like an hour a night, and then we moved it to two hours, and I started only doing Saturday shows because 
I was busy during the week and um, wasn't really um, used to talking on air or in public or anything else. And, you know, we first started where Chris was, like, I would do the first hour every night and then Chris would do the second hour. And and it was great. It was awesome because we started seeing the Lord move almost immediately um, because we knew we were doing what was in his will. And then we got to a point where we both were getting worn out and tired. And um, so we, um, I took a break for a couple months off and then we came back, um, got re-energized, um, really sought the Lord about what we were doing. Cause, and when you're doing any kind of ministry, you continually always have to strive to make sure that your your intentions and the reason you're doing things line up with his will and with his heart for whatever it is you're doing. Because it's too easy in ministry for everybody, no matter who they are, for your focus to shift Um even through your own desires, um, even when the Lord tells you things, you have often at times want to shift and you want to go at full speed in five million different directions. But sometimes the Lord doesn't want you to run in five million different directions, and sometimes he doesn't want you to run at all. Sometimes he wants you to just walk. And sometimes he wants you to just sit in his presence and to enjoy his presence. The, the, big, the best aspect of worship is not the serving, it's the worshiping, it's the sitting at Jesus' feet. And just um, the, and there's a joy and there's a peace that comes from just being in the presence of the Lord, um, which comes when, you, when you're not working, when you're not out doing everything and, and striving to save the entire world, but you're just putting your eyes back on Jesus and you're resting in Him. And the scripture says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Um, not those who take a break, but those who wait upon him. And <clears throat> anyway, that's a, a long story short. So um, we've been switching nights um, so we could both have more time to spend with our families and um, do things. And, you know, last night was my off night, and um, I got home and from work, which is usually around, I guess, 6 o'clock um, central time, and um, as you know, we have four children, um, seven, um, excuse me, 16, 13, 11, and a six-year-old who is our foster child. And um, my wife's grandmother, um, I guess, developed pneumonia. And she's, um, I honestly couldn't tell you how old she is. I believe she's over 80-something. And so she was in the hospital um, about an hour away. And... And my my wife, this is my wife's favorite grandmother, um, and I think she's had more than one. Um, and she's never had the closest relationship with her own mother, but her grandmother, they've always been special, especially close. Her grandmother is this praying, God-fearing, like the most gentlest um, spirit about her in her knowledge of the Lord. Um, the first person to flat out tell you um, that she doesn't care that she's ready to go whenever, um, any second, any minute of any day, she's ready because she knows where she's going. And it's funny how life draws parallels to things that you face later on. And so my wife went up there last night, and um, she was okay last night, and then she came home, and it was sort of like, like a false alarm. And my, my wife was sort of upset, um, not because... Of necessarily of her dying um, because she knew 
where she would be afterwards, and she knew that she was waiting for it. And I guess her grandmother has been waiting for this time, seeking the Lord, knowing that um, she is getting up there in years, and sooner or later her time is short, and she'll be with Jesus. And it, and she's joyful about that in a good way. And but so we thought it was a false alarm, and then my wife get home, gets home this afternoon, and. Um, I guess she got a phone call, and I guess her grandmother got worse. And so my wife's up there right now, and they said that she's probably not going to make it through the night. And more than likely, she probably won't um, because of her condition. And while it seems like a very sad story, um, I've been sort of, like, conflicted over it um, a little bit. Because if it was, like, a a 12-year-old kid or it was a 30-year-old person or a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old, even a 70-year-old, I guess, um, and they were in the same hospital bed, um, the the first thing out of my thought in my thoughts or in my heart's desire um, from knowing the Father would be to go and pray for them, to intercede for them and command the that the scripture be fulfilled in their life, that where it says that by his stripes we are healed, knowing that God can raise them no matter what their condition. And even with Rebecca's grandmother, God could still raise her up, give her fullness of life, and she could live another 20, 30, 40 years. But Paul said, and I believe it was a Philippian, or Colossians or Philippians, he said, I'm hard-pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, but to remain in the flesh with you is more needful. Because Paul understood that, like Missy sung about, and she talked about in her set Tony at the first part of the hour, that we are literally on a journey, that we are strangers. The, um, the scripture says that we're strangers and pilgrims upon this earth. Even though we're born into this earth, we're actually, we're born into this, we're also born into the spirit. And we, our identity, our citizenship remains in heaven, um, hidden where Christ is. And so we're literally passing through this earth. This isn't Ecclesiastes, that life is but a vapor. Um, it's like the passing of the wind. One second you have it, one second you don't, and you never know. The scripture says every man is appointed once to die, and after that, the judgment. Um, now, does that mean that every time someone dies, it's exactly God's will? No, because um, there's also sin and the acts of men, and you know, not everything that God wants to happen ends up happening. You know, the Bible says that um, he's not willing, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, so that all should come to repentance. But we all know there's plenty of people out there that Jesus even said, it says, um, wide is the gate that um, that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life, and there's few who find it. There's a vast, um, I mean, millions, countless millions and millions of people, if you can even imagine how many people that is, out there in the world, living today, not even counting the people who've died um, before us, but countless millions of people in this world right now who are without the knowledge of God and without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, and there's millions of people out there who are going to die without the knowledge of God. And that's the truth. It's as simple as it gets. Um, And, you know, my... And my wife's grandmother um, isn't like that, though, because we know she knows whom she has believed, and she knows the Lord. She 
I mean, it's, she's one of those grandmothers who spent most of her life on her knees praying for people. And and so I was telling my wife um, before she left to go back out there tonight, knowing that um, she probably would pass tonight to go to be with the Lord. I was telling her, well, because she was sort of not sure what to do um, or wh- what her attitude should be when she got out there. Because, you know, she could go out there and if the Lord spoke to her spirit and said, you need to pray for her, it wouldn't matter if her grandmother dropped dead five minutes before she walked in the hospital room. If she knew what the word of God declared and God had spoken to her, she could walk in the hospital, lay hands on her grandmother who had just died, and her grandmother would get up out of that bed. Not because my wife, not because of anything my wife did, because it's what the word of God said. And you can't go against the word of God. And whatever he says is going to be is going to happen because he said his word will not return to him void. And it says that he's a God, he's not a God that he should lie. And we know from the scripture, we know from experience that when he says something, it's true. When he says raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, we know every single one of those things are possible, and they happen on a daily basis all throughout this world because people are bold enough to believe in God and bold enough to just believe and trust that what he said is true. And so I have no doubt if God spoke to my wife and told her to go lay hands on her grandmother, even if she, even if, even if she did pass, that she would come back to life. That being said, I told my wife when she was walking out the door to spend some time with the Lord and to see um, what the Holy Spirit was saying to her at that time. Um, Because, you know, there's times when you do pray for people, and we should always pray and intercede for everybody. But I honestly, in my opinion, if there was a 90-year-old person who knew Jesus and their body was failing on them and knowing that his word could heal their body completely then depending on them and the person I somehow sometimes I feel like I'd be robbing them for someone who lived a, such a long life knowing they're about to see Jesus and the reason I say all that and it may seem a little bit harsh to some of you um, who don't know me very well but um I had um I I've had the opportunity um through the Lord um completely by his grace and mercy to get to pray for people who've been in hospitals and people who've been dying and to and, and to have them be healed by him ne- never by me always by Jesus And, you know, I've seen the Lord do things like that, and I've, I know enough ministers and missionaries and from all over the world to know that the miracles that Jesus talks about, that he said that we're going to do, the same miracles that he did, that the disciples said, I know they still happen today. And I've seen them, I've witnessed them, I've witnessed the power of God over and over and over again to ever doubt that his word is true in any situation regardless of what it is. And there was this period of time where a couple of different times I, I had this, this season in my life where um, I, I had the the amazing opportunity to pray for a lot of people and to see God work. And then what happened is my grand, my own grandmother and I was talking about parallels, and this was about, um, I would say, going on 15 years ago. 
um, my own grandmother was um, old. Um, she was like 90-something, and she um, knew the Lord, uh, and she was so in love with, with God. And she, her husband had died uh, many years before that, and the rest of her time on this earth was with her and Jesus. And I remember my, my mother called me to come to the house and because they were at my grandmother's house at the time to come spend time with her because they said she wasn't going to last very long. And so I, I went there, and the first thing, of course, out of my heart was, okay, let's go like, pray for someone. Let's see God do something. Let's raise the dead or whatever. And I got out to my grandmother's house, and what happened was I walked in the room, and she's laying on the bed. And I walked over next to her, and I sat down. And literally just the father started moving in my heart in a completely different direction. And I sat there with her and I looked at her and we started talking. And instead of being like, okay, let's let's pray for you, grandmother, um, so you get healed, I asked her, I said, or I didn't ask her anything, I just... I, I, well, I asked her if she was ready to go home or what she was wanting, and she looked at me and she said she was ready to go home. The same thing my own mother said to me a year ago and when she passed. And I looked at my grandmother at that time, and I was like, tell him I, say hi. I said hi when, I, when you get there. And she knew, and we talked about Jesus for a minute, and... And I actually told her that I was rather envious um, of her, knowing that at any moment she was going to be with my Lord, and I was going to be here. And I felt like Paul for a second, and I gave her a kiss, and I left the house, and I got to my car, and it was funny because I, I literally lived like not even ten minutes away. Um, almost right down the road and around a couple turns. And I got in my car and tears just started pouring down my eyes because I knew that that was the last time I was going to see it to my house. And she had already left to go be with Jesus because she was ready. And, you know, um, my wife's grandmother is the same way. She's at this point where she's about to leave to go see Jesus, she's about to leave and go be with her husband and her maker, whose name is God. And life doesn't necessarily end, but it begins in eternity and for throughout the rest of eternity, which has no ending, she'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in some ways it's actually a, a cause of celebration because and, and, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> I, I have this bad habit, a really bad habit, is I see old people, no matter who they are, even if they're healthy. And I, I always have this bad habit of, like, people who are, are older in years, and I look at them, and I'll be on a plane or on a bus, and um, I'll, I'll look at them and I'll say, how does it feel knowing that you're going to get to see him soon? And I, And so some people get sort of upset, and some people don't, and but because, you know, that's the, the desire of our heart is to know him, to see him, to, to be with him. And, you know, as Misty was saying in the broadcast, we have that ability right right now 
um, then it'll be completely different because we'll be in the in, in heaven and the entire creation that he's made, um, the place that he, Jesus himself said that he had prepared for us. I mean, if you can comprehend what that means, that because God's love is without failing and it's it's everlasting and enduring, but the scripture also says that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And not only did he die for us, but he also made a place for us. And he said, I will come and receive you again to myself. And so all of us at one point in our life, sooner or later, will stand before him. And some of us will know him, and some of us won't. Because Jesus said, many will come in my name, saying, Lord, Lord, I did this and this. And Jesus said, what? Say, depart from me forever, never, I never knew you, you worker, you workers of iniquity. Because there's many people who are still serving themselves. They're still in love with themselves and in love with the world. And the scripture says, don't be in love with the world. Um, it says, don't walk in the flesh. It says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so, you know, this God said, be holy for I am holy. And our, our aim should be that same holiness that he has, the same holiness of Jesus, the same um, character of Jesus, the same heart of Jesus. And it's not something that you have to really strive too much to have. Just by spending time in his word, just spending time in the presence of God, you become transformed and changed, and your heart becomes rended and, and reshaped and formed, and you literally start becoming like the person you're beholding as in a mirror. Because when you look at him long enough, you start taking on that same appearance. You know, it's like when you're a kid and you're growing up and your your grandmother or your mother always tells you, warns you about the people you hang out with because, um, and people make all these little sayings about it, but I mean, but it's true. I mean, if you hang out with a bunch of people who cuss all day long, then sooner or later, regardless of who you are, you're going to start cussing. If you hang out with people who are doing bad things and having bad whatever, then sooner or later you're going to pick up on their habits. And in like manner, if you hang around people who are filled with the Spirit of God, who are quoting scriptures, who are in love with Jesus, then you become more like them. Well, if you spend all your time with Jesus and you're conversing with him and he's revealing to you the mysteries of heaven and he's revealing to you the desires of the heart of the Father, in the very heart of the Father for you and for the world, then you start becoming like Jesus. If you're spending time with the Holy Spirit, conversing with Him, understanding that Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send the Holy Spirit to you, then you're continually intimate, continually with the knowledge of His presence. Then you start becoming like Him. And... um because we're all going to be there one day, and you never know when. Um, it could be one second, or, or it could be in that, the next. And, you know, as long as we're here, we have such an amazing ability to have fellowship with, with God um, in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits, and to walk and um, 
And there's really no difference between the Garden of Eden and here, except for we had it better than they did. And that may sound weird for me to say that, but Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden, and they really didn't have much to do but walk in the garden because the garden was tending itself from what the, pretty much what it says. They didn't have to water the garden because the water came up from the ground and watered it. And so all that Adam and Eve really had to do was walk around all day long and spend time with God, which sounds, like, amazing. And But it's always that God had to come to them, God, or they had to go to God, and they would meet and they would talk. And, yes, they were face-to-face -face with God, and that's the one thing we all look forward to, but... Even even Moses asked for that and couldn't have it, so God had to just show him his glory and hide him behind the cleft of a rock. But we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, and through and even intercedes through us and prays through us and talks to us, something that Adam and Eve never had, something the apostles and prophets or the, the, not the apostles, but the prophets of the Old Testament and all the men of God, like King David. You know, the Bible says that the, the Spirit of God, like, fell on King David, and he was, and it was like he was covered with the Spirit of God, but he was never filled inside with the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given to men yet. It's just in these last times since the Lord Jesus was crucified and resurrected and then um, took his seat at the right hand of the Father that he sent the Holy Spirit to come, that we could have a deeper fellowship. Even when Jesus was walking this earth, the disciples could talk to him, they could commune with him, and the physical form that he had. But Jesus was never inside of them. But yet we have the Holy Spirit, and he said, it's to your advantage I go away. Because if I don't go away, then I can't send the Helper whom the world cannot receive but we can and it says not only can we receive him but we were resealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption Jesus said he would take all things that are mine and declare them unto you he said that he would bring to your remembrance everything that I said to you he said that you don't need anyone to teach you because the spirit that abides in you will teach you concerning all things you know when when the Paul said, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that in the Old Testament they strived to build man-made temples. They, they strived to build glorious like temples to, to show off their handiwork. And it was they, they would claim it was to bring glory to God and for his presence to dwell. But they was... Um, but in the same way, it was actually also bringing them glory because they said, well, look at how great temple we have here and look how great temple we have here. And this is the greatest temple ever. But, you know, God said, what is the, the building that you'll make for me? Where is the temple you'll build make for me since my hands created all things? Because the temple was only a shadow of things to come. Because he said he doesn't desire to dwell in houses made with human hands, but he desires to dwell in us. Which is why the scripture declares that we are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. That we are the body of Christ. That we literally are filled with the presence of the living God because he desires to dwell in us. Anyway, this is 
Prayer International Radio. Our call-in number, 619-638-8458. If you need prayer, give us a call. We have about uh, 15 minutes left, and we have some people calling in, so we're going to go back into worship for a little bit, and we will be back. And all who are thirsty And all who are weak Come to the fountain And if you are
everybody. Welcome back to Prayer International. Sorry, Ann Ark had to cut the song short. We have about um, ten minutes left. Um, so I wanted to um, sort of wrap this up tonight. Um, I hope all y'all who were listening to the first hour, because um, we had the miss, we played the testimony of Misty um, Edwards from the International House of Prayer. Um, for all of y'all um, who are out there, who actually love worship. Um, if you go to the IHOP website, not Pancakes, but the International House of Prayer, you could just actually Google um, IHOP Prayer Room, and they have a live streaming um, video 24 hours a day, seven days a week of their worship um, room where there are people worshiping in eight-hour, like four to four-hour sets, like 24 hours a day, um, Anointed, anointed, anointed music um, by a bunch, a lot of people who just are completely in love with the Lord, and they've dedicated their their lives to just um, worshiping God, and so that's what they do, um, and that's on their website, and I think we may have a link to it on our website too, which is prayerinternational.org. Um, you know what Missy was saying in the in the beginning about um, about relationship. And is that, you know, to reiterate it, it's true. Um, you'll never find real peace without him. You'll never find the fullness of joy and what joy really is without him, because joy comes in his presence. And you'll never really understand your purpose in this world, why you were made, um, or any of that without him. And, you know, far too often we identify ourselves based on what we do in the world and not whom we belong to. But the scripture declares that we were created, fashioned, and molded for his good pleasure because he wanted us. He he made us for himself. And it's something that is really, really important for every um, believer to understand that we were made for him, and the the very reason we were fashioned and formed and created is to have intimacy, to have a relationship with God. And it's the one thing he desires more than anything else. You know, when Jesus said to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things would be added unto you, it wasn't that, it wasn't like some bargain deal where God says, well, if you if you spend all your time worshiping me and, and just seeking my face, then yeah, I'll provide for you. No, I mean, it happens, but it's not because of that. It's because when you are seeking the Father, you're always going to be in his blessing. Not because he blesses you for being in his presence, because God blesses us not because we're good, but he blesses us because he's good. He blesses us and provides for us because that's who he is. It's part of his very nature is to be a provider, to be a blesser, and to pour out his love upon us. But being in his presence and seeking his face brings you closer to understanding who he is. And when you understand who the Father is, then you start getting more of a concept of who we really are. And when you start taking the scripture and reading them and understanding and meditating on the scripture and spending time in his presence, you really get a sense of what your real identity is. And your real identity is never going to be based on this world. You know, I work all day at a um, 
in a building where there's a lot of doctors, but and they have initials that say their name is doctor or this or doctor that. And even in the body of Christ, there's people who have titles like pastor and preacher this, and um, even some who will go around saying, I'm prophet this or I'm prophetess this, not um, saying they don't have a gift or a calling, but a lot of people identify themselves based on a title, but our identity doesn't rest in a title. Our identity rests in a relationship. Our identity rests in the Word of God and His plan for us, which the Bible says, God said, I know the thoughts I think of you for you. And He said in Jeremiah, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But He also said, if you call upon me, in Jeremiah 33.3, call upon me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things you know not of. And then later, in the New Testament, Paul said, And to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even think. You know, this is the God that we serve, who created heaven and earth, created the universe and everything in it, and holds it all together by the power of his own will. Everything was made for his pleasure and his purpose. And you'll find true joy and you'll find true peace when you find yourself in Him, not in this world. Because the world can give you an identity, but it can't give you peace. The world can give you a position, but it can't bring you joy. The only place you find those things is at the feet of Jesus, when you're standing before the, before the Lord God, as the Scripture says, to come boldly to the throne of grace in which we have access to His presence, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who has, who has broken down the wall of separation and paved a way and made a way and opening for us to have that fellowship that Adam and Eve once had. And not only that, to fill us with His Holy Spirit so that we could have a spiritual relationship with God, that we can converse with God on a spiritual on a spiritual level. And... So, you know, spending time with Him is more important than anything you'll ever do in this life. The most important thing you'll do from the now until the time that you leave this world to go be with Him is to still be with Him. So, this is Prayer International Radio. Um, if you need prayer between now and tomorrow afternoon... You can always email us at prayerinternational at gmail.com and we'll take your prayer requests and pray and intercede and believe for you. Um, and so um, for all of you who are listening, um, have a good night and we will be um, keeping you all in our prayers.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 